Welcome into the NHL at the Rink podcast. Dan Rosen here, Sean Rourke, my esteemed co-host out there. Sean, we are got one team in the conference final, the Tampa Bay Lightning. So congratulations to them. A few other series as we record this Wednesday morning. Still going, all three two. A lot of good hockey left to play here. Yeah, it's amazing. And look, I'm so happy that the the storyline, the teams that are in the bubble when they get down they don't care anymore and they just want to go home right you had all these teams facing 3-1 deficits the Bruins go to double overtime and lose on a deflected goal every other team wins to force a game six the Flyers do it in overtime each one of these teams the Colorado Avalanche are down to their third string goalie with their fourth string goalie as the backup each one of these teams has had the opportunity to put their cards on the table and say you know what boys this has been fun but we're gonna go home and play a little golf and do whatever else we need to do you guys spend another three weeks in the bubble we're done none of that happened so uh, to me that's the you know everybody talks about how hard a trophy this is to win I think it's harder this year and I think the teams that are involved have have acquitted themselves beautifully beautifully in the most trying circumstances as an athlete you could probably imagine no no question about that it it is though i mean i will say from the first round and the qualifying round the teams when they were facing elimination when they could extend the series they only won five out of 17 of those games those teams that were facing elimination but had to win to extend the series were five and 12 but now we've seen obviously the Avalanche stave it off. The Flyers stave it off. Uh, the Bruins, you know, obviously could not do that, but the Canucks could. You mentioned Michael Hutchinson, but let's – what about Thatcher Demko? I mean, Thatcher Demko, 42 saves and a 2-1 to win in Game 5 for the Vancouver Canucks. His first postseason start happens when his team is facing elimination. He makes 15 saves in the third period with the Canucks protecting a 2-1 to lead against the team that I think is just an absolute machine in the Vegas Golden Knights. Watching that game last night, I kept waiting. Okay, when's Vegas going to tie it? When's Vegas going to tie it? When's Vegas? And Demko kept coming up with save after save after save. Uh, look, I'm not going to go the length of saying, well, now Thatcher Demko's guaranteed his spot as a starter next year in Vancouver and they can let Markstrom go because he's going to be an unrestricted free agent. But for right now, what a performance by Thatcher Demko. It was a great performance, right? And it was when they needed it the most. Look, I think one of the things that you're seeing here, I mentioned Colorado and the fact they're on their third and fourth goalies. One of the things you're seeing here with the games being so fast back-to-back on on some nights and every second night on other nights, you know, you need two goalies and and you're not going to win without them. The only team that hasn't had to have that yet is Tampa Bay. Um, and they were in the round robin, and they got a lot more rest. So Vasilevsky's played every game. But other than that, every team's used two two goalies at least. Some have used three. You have the Dallas Stars who tried to get Hudobin a rest and, and put Ben Bishop in, and that kind of blew up in their face in game five when they fell behind 5 nothing. So, you know, look, I look at Demko, and I'm like, what a great performance. That's what I think more than the fact that he made the saves was his mindset going into it. That's what you want from your top prospect. You don't want a kid who's going to walk in in his first playoff start. And he had played in in, in relief in a previous game in this, in this playoffs. Yeah. But his first start, season on the line, and he was just cool as a cucumber, right? But it's yeah. still, to me, Hutchinson, Michael Hutchinson, 
is the story maybe in the playoffs so far. Here's a guy that's kicked around all over the NHL, you know, had trouble becoming a, a, a starter, you know, was out of the league basically and refused to give up. And, and all of a sudden, you know, Grubauer gets hurt and, and then Pavel Francois gets hurt. And, and now, you know, here comes Michael Hutchinson and people are basically like, well, it's over, right? Colorado, they just can't overcome the injuries. And, and you know, he comes out of nowhere and he just pulls off this incredible story, this incredible win. And, and if you really want to know how incredible it was, our colleague Mike Zeisberger did a story on NHL.com today where, where he talked to Michael's wife, the dad, um, his offseason goalie coach, got a ton of different voices and, and just talked about the journey and, and how personal for all of them last night was because that's what you forget you think about all the superstars that are in this tournament that have you know been on this stage numerous times here's a guy who thought this would never happen and then it did happen and again just like Demko he seized it but he does not have the pedigree of Thatcher Demko no if only the Toronto Maple Leafs could get a goalie like Michael Hutchinson I kid I kid Sean I kid (laughs) Uh, but they'll love that in Toronto I will say this look Hutchinson was a great story is a great story you know obviously there's no question about that coming in team facing elimination making 31 saves but it helps a lot when your team scores five goals in the first 14 and a half minutes of the game four in a span of two minutes and 36 seconds so that will settle a guy down in net. There's no question about it. And, and that's why I didn't think the Avalanche were done, even with their number three goalie. And obviously the storyline didn't look good for Colorado from a goaltending perspective going into that game. But the one thing the Avalanche could do, and we've found that the Dallas Stars can do it too, is they can score. And they can score in bunches. And that's what this series actually has been. As they go into game six tonight, Wednesday night, I mean, there have been 43 goals scored in five games between the Dallas Stars and the Colorado Avalanche. So Hutchinson's a good story. It's not as if the goaltending has been all that spectacular in this series with the way the goals are coming fast and furious, though. No, and and you know what? That leads into the next thing, right? And we have a big story up today on the site about this, a little roundtable. You know, yeah. if if you're Rick Bonus, who do you start today, right? You, you have Hudobin, who's been your guy all playoffs, you know, and then you have Bishop who said he was good to go in, in game five and your number one comes to you and says he's ready. You, you put him in and, and then he just gets strafed. But I, I didn't think the Stars played well in front of him. And so we did this roundtable with everybody that's covering the series, which is you, uh, Tracy Myers. And, and then we had uh, Pete Jensen from our fantasy department check in. I'm sure the podcast listeners are familiar with him and, and his podcast, the fantasy podcast. And you guys all said, you know, Kudobin, he's got you here. He's the guy you go to. So I had to jump in and be the voice of dissension, which is one of my specialties. And I say you go back to Bishop. Look, you talk about all the goals that have been scored. Kudobin has not been great for them, right? I think out of his 11 starts, six of them, he's been under 9-10 save percentage. He's given up, you know, a ton of goals. And Dallas has kind of hit that a little bit with their ability to score. So I think if I'm Rick Bonus, what I do is I hope my team's going to play better and they got a wake-up call from last night. I play I play Bishop as my number one guy. And then if he loses, now you got Hudobin on five days rest, which he's more used to, and he comes in and he plays a game seven if you need it, you know, if Bishop isn't any good again in, in, in game six. So that's the way I would do it. All you guys would do it differently. I would do it differently, and we're not gonna know, by the way, if you're listening to this podcast before they play game six, you're not gonna we're not gonna know until 
warm-ups when the goalie leads them out onto the ice who it's going to be because Rick Bonus won't give anything away. Um, but I would do it differently. Anton Hudobin has been your guy through this series. You wanted to give him a break because it was a back-to-back, and Rick Bonus said it. I don't like to play guys on back-to-backs. And he also said that Bishop came to him and said he was ready to go. Like you said, when the number one comes, I, I get all that. But the number one gave up four goals in 14 and a half minutes, less than 14 minutes. And Hudobin came in and battled for you, and he battled hard in that game. I would go right back to Hudobin. You've got an opportunity. And you also have to remember, you don't want to think about it this way, Sean. And I get it that a coach doesn't want to think about it this way. But you do have a game seven if you do if it doesn't work out, right? Um, so there's a little bit of a cushion there. You don't want to get there. You don't want that game seven. But I, I, I would go right back to Hudobin. He's the one that, that, that you rode because Bishop couldn't play. So I would give it to him uh, and, and hope that my guys play better in front of him. But this brings up another point. And, and Rick Bonus has talked about this from a star's perspective. The reason that they're generating more offense is they're getting their D more involved in the offense. Klingberg, Haskinen, who by Haskinen, by the way, has just been fantastic. Um, you know, Alexiak, even Essa Lindell, they're getting more involved in the offense. But when you do that, Sean, and you know this, you're going to sacrifice a little bit on the back end sometimes. It doesn't always happen where you're going to play the D the way you normally play when your offense is jumping up. And I think that's part of what Dallas has dealt with. And, and they dealt with it in a big, big bad way. Uh, at the start of game five. So I, they're going to have to find a balance because the Avalanche are feeling it and they're coming hard and they believe that they can force a game seven in this. Uh, they, they, their offense has been terrific. Nathan McKinnon has points in all 13 games. So, But that's the balance you have to strike, right? I mean, when you're playing a D and, and you're pushing them up in the offense, you're going to have to make a few more saves on the back end. Yeah, I think you're going to need to see that angry, pissed off, if we can say that on this podcast, Colorado Avalanche team that you've seen uh, that you saw in game five that maybe you didn't see in the first couple of games but we were talking goaltending and before we get Tyler Johnson on as our first guest I'm going to break a little goaltending news for you here and I'm going to have you react to it the St. Louis Blues traded Jake Allen to the Montreal Canadiens your thoughts well um, good for Montreal I think gives Carey Price a little bit more insurance um a bit of a surprise to me because of the way Jake Allen played for St. Louis, and you, know, you want to have your goaltending tandem, I guess. Um, so good for Montreal to get a, a little bit of insurance there for Carey Price, a little bit of a help there. And I wonder, though, by trading Jake Allen, I don't have his cap hit right in front of me, uh, or if they retained anything. I don't know all the knowledge in this trade yet, but it, are they trying to salvage some money here to sign Alex Petrangelo? You know, well, that, I, I think – that's I think my that's first clearly thought. part of it. I, for yeah. sure that's part of it. But then I look at it from, from the Montreal standpoint. Now you got almost $15 million invested in your goalies, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and we've seen how important they are in these playoffs, right? And, and the ability to have Carey Price rested, the way he came back and the way he was able to play after a long rest, clearly shows if, if you don't have to play him in a regular season, 65 games, you're going to get a better Carey Price. But that's a big number the the canadians are one of the teams that can kind of carry that number with the way their salary cap is now but they have Caden primo in their in their system too and and so you know i i think there was a thought there that maybe you go with that but then you have a kid who's really untested and that's kind of where montreal's been for the last couple of years so to me it's an interesting trade all around and you know i i think and it's no surprise that that 
Jim Rutherford of the Pittsburgh Penguins was the guy who basically rang the bell and said, we're going to start to make trades when, when he traded for Kapanen from the Toronto Maple Leafs last week. But now it looks like it's going to pick up steam and, and there are no sacred cows. It, it looks like there's going to be some big players moving over the summer. Yeah, I definitely think you're going to – this summer. <laughs> this summer. nice slip of the, the time. The, <laughs> I'm sorry, NHL.com style, the off-season, which is true this time because it won't be the summer. It will be October and November and That's maybe right. into That's December. Right. That's right. By the way, uh, before I even go further on this, we do need to mention, like you said, we're going to get Tyler Johnson off from the Lightning. We'll talk all about the Lightning and how they advance. And then after him, we will talk to Steve Mayer, uh, director of content, you know, does every – the Mr. Do-It-All from the National Hockey League, living in the Edmonton bubble. Uh, he'll talk to us all about bubble life and the quest for the cup, which does premiere tonight, the half-hour show, half-hour docuseries chronicling the teams remaining in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Steve Mayer is an executive producer on that show. It's a six-episode series, and it premieres tonight, Wednesday night at 6 p.m. on ESPN Plus in the United States and youtube.com slash NHL in Canada. So that's a six-part series. But to get back to that trade, which we clearly have to react off of, because we don't often, Sean, get breaking news while we're recording the podcast, and we do get it on this one. Jake Allen, uh, I believe, has a $4.35 million cap hit, right? But it's only for one more year. So you bring up Caden Primo, right? So, okay, they have Caden Primo. They also have Charlie Lindgren. But I wonder if the Montreal Canadiens saw what they were able to accomplish in the playoffs this year and said to themselves, we need to get Carey Price the insurance now so, like you said, doesn't have to play that many games because we're better than we thought they were. We thought we were. And God forbid Carey Price gets injured. We need a veteran goalie, and we don't want to have to go try to find one at a difficult time to find one. Now they've got that insurance. And I can see us, Sean, in, in several months from now, writing a story about how Jake Allen played a role in saving the Montreal Canadiens season. Yeah, and, and look, just think about his stock and where it's gone, right? Bennington comes in two years ago, basically steals his job because Jake was playing so poorly and, and just ran with it, right? Played, you know, I think it was the final 27 games of the regular season and then went all the way to the Stanley Cup final. And then people wrote Jake Allen off, right? That he had lost his game and, and it was going to be Bennington. And then they come into this year and it was a little bit more of a share than I think people envisioned. And, and then, you know, for whatever reason, Bennington didn't really find his game coming out of the pause, struggled in the in the round robin. And Barubi, who clearly has no no fear in changing goalies or, or rocking that boat, goes to Allen in, in, in the series uh, when he needs to after two games against Vancouver. And Jake Allen basically gets him back into that series. So, you know, he, yeah. he, he went from being somebody who wasn't going to be that coveted to perhaps into that group of 1A, 1Bs that we rave so much about in, in Yaroslav Halak and Hudobin and, and those guys that really give some of those top-end teams the goalie relief that, that makes them elite teams. So, um, you know, great on Jake Allen, and it should be a great opportunity for him in, in Montreal and then leading into his UFA year, which would be next year. Yeah, no question about it. And I think it's a big, big help for the Montreal Canadiens to get to get a guy like that who can really help out Carey Price too and, and salvage, you know, save, save Price from some of those starts that they don't want him making. Um, but let's get back to the hockey, the playoffs, what's going on. Before we bring in Tyler Johnson, we haven't really talked about it at all. Uh, we brought up the fact that the Flyers were able to stave off elimination against the Islanders, right, Sean? I mean, with Scott Lawton's overtime goal, 
But I got to tell you, as I was watching that game Tuesday night, third period's going on, I not only thought that the Islanders were going to come back in that game, which they did by scoring twice in the last five minutes, I thought they were going to win the game. I thought that's just the way the Islanders are in these playoffs this year. That's why I have absolutely no concern about the Islanders in this series. I Maybe they don't win it in six. I don't know. But I think they win this series, even with the loss in game five. Yeah, look, I thought when the third period started and, and you know, Keith Jones, who's been on our podcast and one of the smarter guys around, you know, immediately points out that that Couturier is not on the bench. Yeah. And, and, and you know, you're like, oh, my God, like how are they going to survive this? And then they played really well and they survived until, you know, the last five, six minutes and, and, you know, they kind of lost the plot there for a bit. And then, you know, sitting and talking to my son and basically being like, well, that's it. You know, he's like my bracket shot because he had the (laughs) flyers and uh, I'm like, yeah, I don't know how they come back from this one. And, And then the Islanders, owned early overtime and, and good again talking about goalies good on Carter Hart one of those two goals he gave up to tie it was not the greatest of goals let's just put it that way to, to allow and again he showed his mental toughness and he came out of it but so now you go into game six and, and you have some concerns if you're the Islanders but you also have them if you're the Flyers health on both sides Barzell, we don't know what his status is. Uh, Trot said today that his concern is moderate he took a Barzell took a accidental high stick around the eye from from yeah. Claude Giroux on a follow through scary no looking. penalty yeah no, no scary looking went off the ice you know blood the whole thing so we don't know what his status is and we don't know what Sean's status is for for the Flyers right and to me he's that guy he hasn't scored a lot the Flyers got three guys to score their first goals in the game last night you know kind of get Giroux off the, off the slide and, and uh JVR not as much Niskanen and he's not a scorer but he gets one and it was a beautiful goal but you know to me, Sean is the guy who makes that whole team run. Just he's so good, you know, he's so good defensively, does everything, every little thing that they need. And I'm concerned if he can't play how they survive a 60-minute game without the minutes he puts in. No, and he's, to me, he's the Selkie Trophy winner this year too because the minutes he plays, um, the face-offs he wins in all zones, especially the defensive zone, uh, the offense he plays, but also the shutdown role on the PK. He does. He as good as Claude Giroux is, and and he is very good. And he just finally got you know finally got his first goal. Couturier is their most important skater. I don't think you you know there's an argument to be made there. To be honest with you, um, and if he's not going to be able to play, that's not going to be good. But let's get to we got a team waiting, right? I mean, the Tampa Bay Lightning, Sean, are are, are waiting to find out if it's going to be the Islanders or the Flyers, and uh, we got a Tampa Bay Lightning player to call into us and chat with us for a little bit. So Tyler Johnson, a uh, big part of their success. Two very hard five-game series wins, by the way, for the Lightning. So let's get to that interview right now with Tyler Johnson. Tyler, thanks for hopping on with us. Uh, first, I got to ask you, man, I mean, you, you guys are moving on. You're, you're awaiting an opponent, and you're still in bubble life. So what's the bubble life like for you? What's your activity of choice in the bubble yeah i mean uh there's some things we can do there's not a whole lot but uh you know we actually just got done with doing a little activation we had another day off today but everyone was down playing all the different sports there's a really nice gym here so uh we played some soccer tennis played some um papa shot basketball ping pong um a little bit of everything so uh just whatever we can do to get out of the room 
Well, I got to ask you because we, we've seen a lot of uh, behind the scenes stuff. Uh, you know, we saw the New York Islanders ping pong tournament um, and some other stuff in the videos that have come out. And it always amazes me how competitive professional athletes are, not just hockey players, but any sport. Like that's how you become a professional athlete. Who's the most competitive guy on your team? And, and what is his sport of choice? Whew, that's tough. Um, I, like you said, I, I think everyone is super competitive so I, I don't know if there's one person that really stands out as uh, the most but um you know we, we have some guys that are really good at other sports um like Palat and Coleman are really good at tennis and they play all the time circuit chefs big tennis guy so um you know I, I don't know for sure though who's the sorest uh, loser yeah, well, there you go. I was just about to ask. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to have to say Kalorn on that one. I, I don't think anyone's <laughs> ever beat him um, straight up uh, for him. He always says something else happened or someone cheated. So probably probably him. <laughs> it's got to be the Harvard guy, right? Yeah, yeah, just needs it. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, wanted to get to this, Tyler. You guys, uh, look, two five-game series, and I think anybody would take a five-game series, you know, it, 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 all the time because, you know, why do you want to test yourself too much? Except you guys played nine overtimes to win those series. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't imagine you could have two harder five-game series wins because of that. It, how taxing were each of those series, first against Columbus and – you know, and obviously now against Boston, the, just the wear and tear it took to just win in five. Yeah. No, I, I mean, like you said, they're definitely different than a normal five-game series with the OTs and everything that we had played. But, um, you know, I, I think the big thing that's different is sort of just the schedule. I mean, you have back-to-backs and stuff like that, which you don't normally have in a regular playoff. So even with these overtimes and stuff, you're playing a lot more hockey and less fewer days. So, um, that's definitely taxing on the body. That's hard on, um, you know, the guys trying to get back into it and, uh, you know, get the muscles going, but, uh, you know, it's been good. I, I mean, I, I like the way our team has been playing, obviously, um, you know, like you said, winning in five, you, you have to be pretty happy about that. So, uh, you know, we're, we like where we're at right now. Well, what is a five game, five overtime game like for a player? You know, that, that was something that, I, I said after the game that it was awesome to be a part of, but I never want to do it again. I mean, it was, it was, uh, it was different after, you know, two or three overtimes. That's kind of when like nothing was necessarily funny in our locker room, but for whatever reason, everybody was laughing just because I think we were so tired that you just had to laugh. Like you, you couldn't do anything. And, um, you know, we had guys, going out for a shift and coming back 10 seconds later yelling that they're cramped. So we basically had to have two lines ready at all times just in case someone had to come off. So it was, it was tough. It was, it was not only physically tough, but mentally always trying to stay on top of your game. And, you know, we we're trying to just play it smart and not take any chances and, you know, kind of just let the game come to us in a way. And, um, you know, thankfully uh, pointer was able to find the back of the net there in the fifth one. And, I wish you would have done a little bit sooner, but uh, at least we'll have a story for it. What does that do for belief, especially when it happens as it did so early in the playoffs? Like when you get to overtime now, what, what does that do for belief? Yeah, I mean, we've, we've had a few OT games now where, uh, you know, our guys have rallied and came back and won it. So, um, you know, I, I think the main thing about that is I, I like the composure of our team. I mean, overtime can be um, – 
you know, it can be a little bit nerve wracking just because one mistake can really just end the entire game. But um, the way our team plays, you know, we don't really let that stuff bother us. We just kind of keep doing our own thing and keep working together. And, uh, you know, we have trust in one another. And I think that's huge. And, um, you know, when you get the results in overtime like that, uh, you're bound to go to overtime again. And, you know, you kind of look back on that and say, you know what, we already did this before. Let's just do it again. As you've grown along in the playoffs, so many people on the outside have made a big deal about your road to the Eastern Conference Final, that you had to get by Columbus, which knocked you out the year before, swept you, and then you had to get by Boston, which was you know, your main rival throughout the year for, for the top of the East. They were the President's Trophy winner. Um, and, and the fact that you were able to do both of those is such a big part of the narrative for you guys and, and, and part of your belief. Do you believe that as a player? Were those were those series special or were they just two series that had to be gotten through and it didn't matter, you know, who, who was on the other end of that? You know, I, I think media and maybe fans make it out to be a little bit more than what um, we as players would, uh, you know, like Columbus, for example, I, I don't think anyone was really thinking about what happened last year. I mean, we're two completely different teams. Um, you know, we already went through the regular season. We played a lot of hockey that was different. And then obviously with this break and everything, you're kind of changing things up. So, I mean, even against Boston, um, you know, you, you don't necessarily have, you know, like you said, that rivalry of going through the season and everything, everything kind of starts over in a way. So I, for us, it was just about playing our game, doing what we had to do. And, um, you know, they're two good opponents and they're, they're a good series. They're a lot of fun to play in and a lot of fun to play against them, but, um, you know, I, I think we are just ready to play whoever we needed to play. Why is this team then, Tyler, better than last year's team or better suited to win in the playoffs than last year's team? Yeah, I think our team, I mean, the depth of our team's ridiculous this year. It's, it's probably the best team I've ever been on. So, um, you know, that's huge. We have guys that step up every single game. We have guys that compete. We have um, the way we play is more uh you know okay with a one goal game or two goal game and not so much trying to look for you know winning those games six five seven four whatever it may be we were just kind of you know playing defense first letting our skill take over after that and um compared to taking those chances and trying to um you know force something to happen so i, I think that's really big just because in playoffs i mean every team's good every team's playing um, you know, structured, and you, you really don't want to give anyone anything. So uh, our, our team has been pretty good about that. So we know you guys during the day are competing in, in various events to to see who's the best. But uh, I'm curious with these days off at night. You know, will, will you watch? Will you watch Game Six as a team? Are you looking for things when you watch it? And and I guess related to that a little bit, are you hoping for a Game Seven? You have a couple of guys that are a little banged up, and and, and Kucherov and and McDonough missed a couple of games, and then obviously Steven Stamkos hasn't played yet, but is still trying to get back. Or are you hoping that they uh, they go as long as humanly possible, or do you want? want to get back at it you know i i think there's a fine line as far as getting back at it and then also um hoping for long series i mean anytime uh, another team can get a little bit more tired or um you know worn down obviously that's a big thing for you but at the same time you know if you have too much of a break it can be a little bit uh bad as well so i i don't really know if i have um if I really care if it's going to be longer or playing tomorrow, whatnot, like it, it doesn't really matter too much. But um, 
as far as watching the games as teams and stuff like that, you know, we, we watch the games. I, I don't think it's as a team or anything like that. It's just more hanging around and watching it. We're not necessarily looking for anything. I mean, um, us as players, we're, we're fans of other players too. And we like enjoying and watching and trying to see what's going on. So, uh, you know, I think we do that, but yeah. Tyler, for you guys, is there a different level of excitement? I mean, you, unlike the Western teams, you know, they're staying put. You guys get to move at least. You at least go to a different place, um, break up the monotony, if you will. Uh, eventually you will do that. You will go to Edmonton. So is there uh, an added jump that you can potentially get from that, just, just being in a new environment so, so things are a little bit different for you? Yeah, I think there's definitely um, some pros to that. Just, you know, we've we've been in the same hotel in the same room, um, eating the same restaurants, all that stuff for, shoot, I don't know, it's been over a month now. So, I mean, that's been a little different. So it would be nice to, you know, have something different. Although, you know, we do have a good setup here. I, I don't know what Edmonton's quite like or whatnot, but um you know, we, we've been enjoying ourselves here, so that's been good. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. The, I, I guess the tough thing for us right now is just the travel to Edmonton is, you know, we, we don't know when that'll be. We don't know what's going on. We've heard a lot of different uh, scenarios and stuff. So uh, I think that's been the hardest part for us is knowing that, you know, we're going to be moving. It's just we don't know when. Tyler, last one for me, and I, I gotta ask you this: you, in the in the first two rounds, you played against some really good defensemen, right? You played against uh, Wierenski and Jones and Columbus, and then you you go up against uh, Chara, who who might be retiring. Who knows? But you go up against Chara in in the, in the second round. But to me, one of the revelations of this playoffs is look. Victor Hedman's always been a great defenseman. He's been up for the Norris Trophy, um, clearly has gotten his due, but it, it seems like he's taken his game to a whole new level this year. And, and you've been around him for a long time. I'm curious what you see and if you see that and, and where that comes from, that ability to continue to be great but become even greater. Yeah, I mean, maybe I'm biased, but uh, I, I think he's the best defenseman in the league by a lot. The way that he can skate, the way – the things that he does, I mean, um, you know, he's he's a defenseman that plays the game actually skating forward. And I, I think that's, you know, pretty pretty dangerous when a D-man can do that because they don't give you any time or space. And then he has that extra long reach and, um, you know, that acceleration that, you know, when you see him go up against these guys and then even us in practice, you, you literally can't get around him because one is just as quick as you and then he's bigger than you. So he's able to take everything away. So. Um, you know, he really does have it all. And I, I think these playoffs, um, I mean, I, I think he's already shown that obviously, but these playoffs have been, uh, outstanding for him. He's been a guy that our teams heavily relied on. He, he plays all tough matchups. Um, you know, he's offensive. He does everything for us. So, uh, you know, I, I think he really is just that backbone of our team to, um, really calm us down if things are going bad and, also, another guy that really picks us up when we need him to. Definitely, uh, Tyler, you missed Victor Hedman in the playoffs last year. No question about it. Uh, great to have him back. And we're so happy that you were able to jump on with us. All right, man? Thanks a lot for a few minutes. Hey, thank you so much. Great stuff from Tyler Johnson. Definitely thank him for coming on, Sean. And they await their opponent, right? Flyers, Islanders, and eventually they'll move to Edmonton too. So change of scenery, change of opponent. 
It's all very interesting for the Tampa Bay Lightning, but I still don't think anybody beats them. That's why I picked them to win the cup. I'm sticking with it. Yeah, and I thought it was really interesting, you know, there at the end when he said he wasn't sure whether he wanted somebody to win game six tomorrow so they know and they can get started likely on Saturday or if he wants them to beat each other up into a game seven, maybe a couple of overtimes and, and kind of soften them up, whoever advances for the next round. You know, that's always kind of the the fine line that teams that advance early have to walk, right? Do you get rusty or do you let the other teams kind of tenderize each other so we'll see what happens uh tomorrow night thursday with game six and then possibly on to a game seven um in the east and you know in the west things look pretty interesting on both sides uh as far as how those series are going to stand out and that is where the eastern conference i mean the conference finals and the stanley cup final will be yep and that is where our next guest is actually so steve mayer uh, the director of everything at the National Hockey League, as I like to call him, content, uh, events, uh, you name it, he does it. He's been in the Edmonton bubble. This is his 51st day. He's also an executive producer on the half-hour docuseries Quest for the Cup, uh, which chronicles the remaining teams in the Stanley Cup playoffs. That series airs, debuts and airs tonight, Wednesday night, 6 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Plus in the United States youtube.com slash nhl in canada a six-part series steve mayer in the bubble we talked to him about quest for the cup we talked to him about bubble life uh we even talked to him about what's coming after the bubble life uh here's that interview with steve mayer steve we're gonna welcome you in here it's uh, as you said before we started recording it's day 51 for you in the edmonton bubble we'll get to the quest for the cup we'll get to the bubble everything how are you right now I'm doing fine. Uh, it's been it's been a long stretch. I, I will be the first one to admit it. I've been going personally uh, since since we paused. Um, you know, at the league, we we focused on content for the first three months, two months. Uh, I can't even remember anymore. But we didn't stop. Uh, you know, we produced hun- you know hundreds of hours actually um, of content. And um, and really really worked hard at you know getting up and running really fast and being able to provide you know to our fans you know content that was related to the pause and then obviously shifted um, while continuing that content you know the thoughts to how are we going to come back and you know and then. Um, you know, it's very well documented. I mean, we, we talked to so many different teams and cities about forming a bubble um, in, in their city. Uh, waited, waited, waited. Obviously came to Canada where we felt it was the safest. That was always the number one priority. But, you know, uh, had 12 days uh, to to form the bubble, to put it all together uh, you know, and and so far, so good. You know, one of the things that gets me through every single day is, you know, the fact that we got to get to the end. We we have to do what we set out to do, and that's to raise the Stanley Cup. Um, every day we get through is a win. Uh, we just are trying to keep everybody healthy. And no positive tests so far, which is, you know, for me, a mini miracle. But we've got a lot of work to do. We've got a couple more rounds to go, uh, but, you know, I'm doing okay. Uh, it's it's a long stretch, and, you know, as I say to everybody, I'll sleep in October, and that's what I'm looking forward to. Uh, it's it's been It's been quite the experience. 
when you started this, it was all in the abstract, right? The MLS had kind of done, had started their process, the NBA maybe a little bit too, but nobody really knew how any of this was going to work. What about bubble life has taken you the most by surprise? Uh, you know, it's very confining. Like, and again, I I will tell you that uh, you're right. And Sean, when we when we started the process, n- none of us, including the NBA and the MLS, we, we knew what this could be like, had to be like, how it would work. Um, you know, and we just knew that it needed to be confined. It needed to be contained. It needed to include people that were, were tested, that followed protocol, that had personal responsibility. And one of the things you learn in the bubble quickly is that, you know, this isn't only about you. This is about everybody around you. And it's so important that you follow protocol, um, you get tested every day. But even though you're in an environment where everybody's been tested every day, every day and, and everybody you know, comes through with negative tests, you still feel that it just will take one little slip up, one, one person who doesn't you know, conform that could, could be the one to take the whole bubble down. I mean, it's, it's scary when you really think about it, but it's so true. And so from our standpoint, you know, we preached from day one to everyone, you know, wear the masks, social distance, you know, do, do what you need to do to protect the bubble. And, you know, again, one of the things I've seen I'm really proud of is how, you know, everybody has conformed, players, general managers, team staffs, NHL staffs, vendors, people from the outside. And, you know, again, it's worked really well. People feel safe. Um, I, I think we're probably one of the safest places in the world right now. Um, but it is very confining. I mean, you walk through a fence to get to work every day. You eat at the, the, the few restaurants that we have. You know, there's a great variety of food, but yet there's a lack of variety when you're there for 51 days. Um, you know, if you went to the greatest resort in the world, guys, you know, you, and you stayed there for 51 days, you get a little bored of it after a while. So those are the things that we're trying to protect. We're always trying to do some things that are new, that are a little bit exciting. The hockey is awesome, and the hockey gets us through every single day um, because that's what we're here to do, and that's, you know, that makes these days go faster. But, um, you know, it, it's not, you know, I'm not going to sit here and lie to you and tell you, how, oh, this is unbelievable. You guys should come. It's going to be great. <laughs> it, it, it is what it is. And, but we're all accepting of the fact that it is what it is. And, you know, the number one compliment that I've received um, from players, from anybody that stepped in this bubble is, wow, this is way better than I thought it was going to be. And to me, that's, that summarizes the experience here. Um, I think people's expectations were really low, really low. And, you know, once you've experienced it, it is better than you thought it was going to be. Well, I mean, that is probably the best compliment you can get, uh, I would imagine, because if expectations were low and, and it's better than everybody thought it was going to be, that's great. Uh, but I want we got to get to the quest for the cup, Steve. I mean, this is... This show, it's a docu-series. It chronicles the remaining teams in the playoffs. You're an executive producer on it. Uh, Six-episode series. It, it premieres tonight on ESPN Plus and YouTube.com slash NHL in Canada. I, you know, 
we've seen Quest for the Cup, right? I mean, in the arenas and, you know, going home with players, this, all kinds of things like that. This is a huge change. This is so different because what we're doing now is different. What are fans going to see now? What, when they tune in tonight, Wednesday night, what's going to be the thing that, that catches their eye uh, with the Quest for the Cup show? So, you know, listen, the nature of the show emanating from a bubble makes it makes it different than it's ever been before. And I do think that's one of the, the main reasons why, you know, ESPN Plus is super excited about this one more than, you know, I, they've been in the past as well. I mean, there's just, you know, there's this uniqueness that, you know, we we give our fans an exclusive look i mean you talk about all access i mean but you know now you're inside a bubble um you know so i, I think what the fans will get is, is a real great peek into what life is like i mean i just went through it with you guys a little bit um and you know and again i think you'll see for instance in toronto uh you know the travises from philadelphia uh, connect me and Sanheim give us a tour of the Toronto bubble. Um, I, I give them credit, man. They made it look like it was amazing. In fact, I'm in Edmonton and I was like, man, I, I wish I was in Toronto. This is pretty cool. <laughs> a little uh, jealous. <laughs> yeah, no, I was a little jealous. They did a great job. Uh, they, so they give us a tour. Uh, Tariq Krug takes us on a, you know, on, on his day testing, like you go, you go through a test with him. We would have actually had more in the show regarding the inside the bubble look, but then obviously the events of last week and mm -hmm. obviously the postponement of games, that becomes a huge story in episode one. Um, and, and the beauty of the show and what I think makes it so powerful is we follow Ryan Reeves uh, through the decision uh, that he was very much up front and, and a powerful voice for, and then we follow him in the subsequent days when the teams were, you know, off, uh, reflecting, talking, um, you see sort of that, that, that process and, and, and what those two days were like. And then back to the ice as Vegas played Vancouver and we watched as Vegas takes a three, one lead in the series. So, you know, I think the show's got a little of everything. It's got the hockey like it always has. And, you know, the shooters that have done the show in the past, who in my mind are the greatest cameramen in the world, they're all here. They're, they're in the bubble. Um, they're all working this event. And so you've got the quality that, you know, has literally got us a nomination every single year, an Emmy nomination. Um, you know, so that's there. Um, you know, we're remotely producing the show in New York, uh, but it's, it's good. And, and we're really proud of it. And I think, you know, this is just episode one for fans to be able to see now the move from Toronto to Edmonton in subsequent weeks, I, I think will make this show, um, extremely unique and definitely something that people should tune in to watch. You know, it's amazing because every year that you do this, you're, you're telling history, but it's kind of a history that people have experienced or that they they at least have an idea of what it is. But now as a documentary process, you get to detail something that's never happened before. And then anybody who's ever done a documentary, the one thing they want to happen during a documentary is something 
noteworthy to happen. And you were given that with the protests and, and with the cancellations and also such a such a poignant person at the front of it. Ryan Reeves, one of the, the better spoken athletes, I think, in, in our game. Um, it was pretty much a perfect storm for, for the directors, no? Yeah, no. Um, yeah, listen, this this is one in my mind that, you know, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, will will stand on its own um you know every once in a while i get a kick and and especially during the pause and i know you guys were probably with me um you know going back to classic games going back to the old stanley cup films you know you you start watching them and and you know one you go wow how times have changed Mm -hmm. and and two you know i remember that i remember that this is this is one that you know, listen, everybody and their brother are going to go, you know, 20 years from now. I remember where I was, what I did during this. Let's hope it's um, we're back to normal by then. But, you know, um, I just think that this is such a unique time, a unique period of time. You know, I, I've said it to our team numerous times here in the bubble, you know, our event team is the best in the world. I mean, they, I am so proud of them. They have done a, an incredible job. But we we do say this a lot. And, you know, just take a step back every once in a while and realize what you're doing. Like, this is history. And, you know, you're doing something you'll never do in your entire life. And just, from you know, take it in every once in a while. You know, just understand you know, the magnitude, understand, you know, what this is really, you know, going to go down as in history and and appreciate it in some crazy way. Because, you know, we're doing something that, you know, I, I think is is so unique. And, and in the end of the day, we'll be remembered forever. And so, you know, I, I remember where I was on September 11th. I remember where I was when this person was, uh, you know, shot and killed. Like, you just remember certain moments in time. And this is one that I think we're always going to remember. And to have a series documenting this, you know, it, it, with, with the access that we're able to give and get, um, I, I think is really unique, super unique. How are you doing that then? I mean, because like you said, every day is, you know, you got to get through every day. You got to get through every day. Do Do you have time to then at least take a moment for yourself to, 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 to look around and, and do it. Or is it something that you're just storing away the memories and you'll, you'll do it later on? I mean, is that, how do you handle, how do you compartmentalize all of it? It's hard. I have to admit guys, um, um, for me, you know, there's just, you know, so many aspects of this that, you know, I don't want to get into, but, Unfortunately, when you're in this position, or or fortunately, I mean, I I love being, you know, as, as responsible as I am for for as much as I am. But it, it's hard, you know, and that's probably been the toughest piece for me personally. Is just, you know, I'm I'm as involved in, you know, um, the food and beverage decisions as I am in the content decisions as I am in the way the game press happens, you know. Mm-hmm things filter through me that's just the nature of the job we have great people that are working alongside me you know in all those various areas but in the end of the day i guess i have to confirm sign off and 
And, you know, you make decisions in this environment. You got to make them quick. You got to own them. But many of the decisions we make are decisions that we've never made before. They're all related to, you know, what we're all going through. They're related to protocol. They're related to health and safety. Um, But they're also related to, you know, making sure that people in this bubble are, you know, they're, they're, their quality of life is actually okay. You know, um, Mm -hmm. like today, I'll just give you an example. Um, We have an early game in the Edmonton bubble, but usually the restaurants close pretty early. And, you know, I was on an email chain, which I started this morning, just to say, guys, we have to have restaurants open so that when the staff is done tonight, and, and again, it could go to 12 overtimes, and, you know, that'll go, right. you know, moot. But when, this, when, when the games are over, which are 9 p.m., 9.30 p.m. in Edmonton, we have to have restaurants open so that, you know, our staff can eat. You know, um, those, are the, the, those are the little decisions that I'm sure the audience is rolling their eyes. But you have to understand these are the things that we're, we're constantly – looking at because we want to give people a quality of life and you want to give people an experience in the bubble that isn't horrible and uh to sit down at a restaurant is a lot better than to you know make a turkey sandwich and that's what you have for dinner um and again that might be sour you know grapes or you know people at home might be just like are you kidding me but these are the little things that make a big difference and those are the things that we focus on it's the devils and the details that make, you know, the experience a good one. And those are the things that on a daily basis we, we contemplate. But everything needs to be also looked at from the, from the lens of is it safe? Is it healthy? You know, are we following protocol? Are we able to do things that, you know, will keep this bubble protected and safe? And so that's, that's another consideration almost always in every decision we make the thing that amazes me in watching this all as it's developed and knowing a little bit of how a sausage is made is there were so many decisions that were made going in and and so many plans i mean just reams and reams of paper you know with with what's going to happen and how it's going to be scheduled and then literally one of the first games that's played goes into five overtimes and and throws (laughs) the whole schedule off and, and that was just kind of a hint of what's to come, right? Now the schedule's been condensed a little bit. We don't know when we're going from east to west. Everything that's that it, it's all so fluid that there was a plan and there still is a plan, but it changes on an almost hourly basis. Yeah, very much so. I mean, listen, you know, the hockey uh, obviously dictates everything that we're doing, and um, and it is unpredictable. Um, it truly is, and. You know, when you're scheduling three games in a venue, in the same venue, you know, an overtime here, two overtimes here can change your day dramatically. Um, You know, the five overtime game was interesting because it did come pretty early. And we haven't really had a huge issue since. Uh, You know, but it it throws things off, but it also makes it exciting. The possibility of of a five overtime game. You know, I, I hate to say this and my staff will probably kill me. You know, we, we actually would love or would have loved 
We had a lot of late starting games in the West. We would have loved to be here one night till two in the morning because that would have been one of those nights that you'd remember forever. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, it's interesting. I mean, when it comes to hockey, I mean, you would think that a lot of people would want to just get out of the bubble, like four game series. Let's go home. No, just the opposite. I mean, we want the hockey to be amazing, the series to go seven, the drama like that, that that presents not only in the bubble, but outside the bubble. That's what we're all praying for, hoping for. Um, it's something that, you know, is the opposite of the way you would think we would feel. But, you know, we are right now in a position where we might have, you know, three game seven. Um, mm-hmm. And again, we're not rooting against any teams, um, you know, at the league. We we root for all teams equally. But I will say this, that, you know, we're just looking for great hockey, you know, memorable games and those that people talk about forever. And, you know, we're in a position right now where we could have three game sevens. Um, you know, whereas on Monday we were talking about, oh, we might have – Four series ending in five games. We were looking up stats like, is that the fastest that, uh, you know, uh, 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 an entire round has ever been done? So now it's just the opposite. And, and again, it's just all about, you know, the excitement of hockey. You know, I think all of us, even though we've been here for 50 days, 60 days, 70 days by the end and more, you know, we're just, we're just hoping that you know, we, we have a game seven in the Stanley Cup final. That would be kind of unbelievable and pretty fitting for 2020. Yeah, no doubt about it. Now, you bring up, obviously, the Stanley Cup final. We're going to come to the conference final here soon. So is there any changes, any different look, uh, feel, or anything coming from what we've seen so far uh, to what we could see in the conference final and the Stanley Cup final from, from a television perspective? Because that's what Sean and I are seeing it on. So any, any um, I don't know, just anything different or unique that you guys are planning that you maybe can hint at? Sure, um, sure. So we're going to add virtual into the environment. And when I say that, um, you're going to see certain things pop up that have not been part of the television broadcast. Um, you know, a lot of what we do and what we've done with the television set um, has been pre-produced material, um, you know, highlighting the players on the ice, um, highlights, live shots. And what we're going to start to incorporate into the environment is real-time statistics and, and very much more um, interactive, um, real-time information uh, that actually will populate in various areas of the rink that I think look incredibly cool. We've actually been testing the last few days. And I think, you know, we're not going to go overboard, but at the same time, it's going to be a very obvious add to the conference final and the final. Um, We're going to start to, you know, in some of the things we're going to do in the screens, um, add an element that is very personal for the players, which I don't want to give too many hints of, but I, I do think it's going to be a, a really nice element that um, is will be unique to, to hockey, to the NHL, uh, but at the same time be very personal and something that 
we think that uh, the fans are going to really respond to well. And, you know, listen, we're, you know, we're really happy with some of the tweaks and the way we've incorporated our television set into the production. Uh, but we also clearly understand that in the next two rounds, it's, it's really about going for a cup, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I think we want to show the intensity you know, of of teams that really, really want to win this. And I don't think they care much that they're in a bubble, um, that it's 2020, and that this is a different year. In the end of the day, their names will be on a cup that, you know, from the time they grew up um, is the dream. And, you know, for four teams in, you know, in a few days, the dream still is a, is, is a potential reality. So, you know, I think yeah, you know, I think that things are going to get really intense, and it's going to be super cool to be bringing some new faces into our bubble in Edmonton, um, and and to see some new blood. I think it's going to energize a lot of people here, and you know, we're looking forward to the next round of of what we're doing. So when we get to the conference finals, there'll be four teams left, and that means that there's 27 teams and their fans who are done for the year and are already looking forward to next year. And you said you were going to sleep in October, but I think that's a lie because we're going to have to do the draft. We're going to have to do the draft days after the, after the season ends. And I know all these teams that have been eliminated, especially, you know, the, the, the top teams like the Rangers and the Kings and, and those teams are eagerly looking forward to what's going to happen. Where are we on the draft front? And, and what is that going to look like? Sean, uh, can I get one day off? Maybe one day. No. I'll, I'll go from I'll go from sleeping <laughs> for October to maybe getting a day off. Uh, the draft is going to be virtual. I can tell you that. Um, we are not going to bring, you know, our 31 teams together. Uh, it, it's it, it, you know it, again it's the you know it, it's the way it has to be. Um, so we're right now working with all the teams, and they'll all have either war rooms or some form of get-together. Um, many teams are okay with socially distancing in their own little environment in their world. And, and so we're going we're gonna to have 31 feeds of cameras from every single location, and the picks will be made at those locations. Uh, we're going to work closely with NHL Network, and we'll be broadcasting at least from the NHL Network hub, and that's where Gary Bettman and Bill Daly will be. Uh, that's where our draft boards will be. Uh, we're working with the networks who will have their own studios environment at uh, NBC and at Sportsnet, and so they'll be a part of the overall telecast. And then what we're doing and it's similar to what other drafts have done, NFL draft, Major League Baseball draft, um, WNBA draft. We, we watch them all. Uh, we're going we're gonna to send cameras and lights and all that to all our top prospects. Um, with other prospects, uh, we're going to have the ability to zoom in, essentially, to their, to their living rooms. Um, and be able to watch their reaction as they're picked, um, you know, and we might be able to bring in, you know, well over 100 of, of those particular draft prospects 
Um, and all this is going to be done, you know, virtually. Um, it's, it's the way we felt like we had to do it. We thought for a half a second, could we bring folks into a central location? But, you know, it's one thing to set up a bubble. You know, it's another thing to set up an event. And we just don't feel confident that we could do it safely. So that's how we're going to do it. And so that's going to be, you know, obviously pretty immediately after we raise the cup, um, just a few short days after that. And then, you know, we're asked all the time what's going on for next season. And admittedly, we've, we, we've had some very brief conversations. Uh, there's a lot more to come on that. Uh, both Bill Daly and Gary Bettman are coming into the bubble. And I'm sure once they're here, uh, we'll all sit down and, and start talking about next season. Uh, but right now, we really haven't talked long enough to, to have any sort of a plan. Um, you know, there, there's time for that. It's definitely time for that. We did this in 12 time. days. We did yeah. this in 12 days. We could do that. And give us 13 or 14 days. We'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you get two weeks for that one. All right, a full. Two, we'll give you yeah. the full two weeks for that one. All right, you got twelve for this that. one. You get the you get the two extra days for that one. Thanks, um, Dan. Thanks. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, I'll give it to you. Right, uh, Steve. Last one for us. Um, I wanted to bring it back one more time to the docu series, the Quest for the Cup, because um, it is premiering uh, Wednesday night tonight. ESPN Plus, YouTube.com, and slash NHL in Canada. Of course, the six part miniseries every Wednesday. I, I wanted to give – the players have a lot of time on their hands, right? I mean, they're not with their families. They're not doing things. There's any, Like you said in Edmonton, there's, there's just not a lot to do unless they're playing hockey. So how cooperative have they been? Have you found that the players have been even more willing to give some of their time to the show to be involved and to be a part of it? Yeah. I mean, I think, listen, um, when I say there aren't a lot of things to do, I mean, the guys – We've had some excursions. We have a stadium here that they go to during the day. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that just naturally, because we're all experiencing this together, uh, there is this sort of commonality and, and bond that all of us feel we have just based on the experience that we're sharing together. And so, therefore, you know, I think the players – are more willing, you know, it, it's a little different when, you know, we, we go, for instance, let's take the Dallas stars and, you know, you, you go to Dallas, you know, we ask people, can we go home with you? Can we drive to the rink together? Right. Can yeah. we, you know, this is something that you, you do a lot. Can we follow? Yeah. It, it's, it's not, I wouldn't say it's a hardship, but it's a decision to let people into your life. In, in this case, you know, our life is their life. We're all in this together. <laughs> it's a little simpler to to say, hey, you know, today I, I see you're, you know, having a cornhole championship. <laughs> hey, can we join that? You know, or it's poker night, you know, and can we come and check that out? You know, those are the kind of things that are, it's easy. We're all in a in a small area together. And I, I do think the players are just more willing and, more and and I think they have the same attitude that I have. You know, we want to share this experience. This is this experience that'll be documented for a lifetime. You know, and they want to remember like we remember what this was like when they pull out the the series and watch it again, you know, fifteen years from now. So 
again, I think they're, they've been great. Um, and they've had, as I said, the, the greatest attitude. I mean, I, I did think I was going to get beat up, uh, you know, with just one demand and, and one criticism after another. And it has been completely the opposite. Um, and that, you know, I'm grateful for. So listen, end of the day, uh, you know, we're all in this together. It's been an experience of a lifetime, good and bad. Um, and, you know, uh, we know we've got a lot more to do. I mean, that's the other thing. I mean, I've said it's 51 days. Uh, there's another potential 30 days before, you know, I leave Edmonton. And, you know, we just got to one by one check them off and and get to the end. And I'm not kidding you. When that cup is raised, I I just don't know, like, what kind of emotions will come out of me uh, or mm-hmm. my staff. I mean, this has been one of those where, you you know, you hold your breath, you hold your breath. And once that cup gets raised, it's exhale and and, you know, just realize that, you know, we did it. We did it. But yeah. until we've done it, uh, you know, we, we can't rest. We can't. Well, we allow you to go back to work now. We appreciate the time. You didn't even need to take a COVID test to come on our show. I mean, isn't that nice? No, yeah. no, no. But I would have. <laughs> if, if that was a requirement, I mean, it would have been an honor. It would have been an honor, Dan. All right. Well, I, I highly doubt that. But, Steve, thanks so much for jumping on with us. All right? <laughs> Hey, guys, it was great to be a a part of this, and and thanks for having me. Sean, it's always interesting to hear from Steve Mayer, a tireless worker. He sounds tired. He probably is, but he's going to still grind his way through this whole thing. You know he will. Uh, But there's a few teams that are done. Uh, One of them, the Boston Bruins. I'm curious, Sean, what's your take on the Bruins and what could happen to them now? Is the window closing? I think so, and I think it's going to be one of the most interesting teams to watch, right, in in the offseason going into next season. You have a team that's hard against the cap, and the cap is going to be flat, um, so they don't have a ton of wiggle room. They have some interesting uh, UFAs, um, mainly in, in Tory Krug and Zdeno Char. Is Char going to yeah. retire? You know, what's going to happen with him? He's the heart and soul of that team. Other guys, you know, are, are getting older. Right, David Krejci's 34, and he was so good in these playoffs, and he's always been good in the playoffs for them, but he's 34. Bergeron's 35. Marchand's 32, right? These aren't old. I'm over 50, so these aren't (laughs) old, but they're old in hockey years, right? And a ton of miles on some of these guys. So um, you you wonder what's going to happen. What's going to happen with Tuka Rask? He's got one more year left on his contract, and – you know, what do they do with him then? Um, so a lot of key pieces to what has been, look, they've only won one cup, but since 2010, a team that has been the elite in the East almost every year, like they're the team that other teams, I think, really try and measure themselves against. They may not be the same. And they have some young guys. Look, they have some young guys that are really going to carry them uh, front and center, David Posternock, Um But, they're not going to be the same team, I don't think, next year. And and I don't know if they're going to be as good or if they're going to be as good for a while. Well, I'm going to agree with my dog because I don't know if you heard him talking there for a little bit. And Dude, he's he, becoming a media yes, star. He, he was on the Zoom star. the other day. He was on a Zoom the other day. I'm going to agree with him because I understood what he said. And he said they're not 
done. The window's not closing. There will be changes, but these are still players who are very good, who can do a lot. Posternek's young, McAvoy's young. Uh, there's more up and coming, I think, in Boston, too, than, you know, Don Sweeney has not just focused on the here and now with the Bruins. A lot of it also has been with the future of the Bruins. Bruce Cassidy is a very good coach who's not going anywhere. He's got a good staff. I think the Bruins are in going to be in an okay position here. Are they going to be as dominant? Maybe not next season. We don't know. We also don't know what next season is going to bring and what it's going to look like. But I think the Bruins are going to be fine. I think Bergeron is still one of the best in the league, and he will remain that way. And like I said, Pasternak and McAvoy are your future, and they are very much part of the present too. So I think they'll be fine. What about the Florida Panthers, though? So they make news this morning, Wednesday morning, before we uh, jumped on to record, hiring Bill Zito as their new general manager, replacing Dale Talon. Bill Zito's paid his dues. He was for seven years was with the Columbus Blue Jackets uh, in in various different roles in their front office and was a player agent before that. There's a lot of good pieces there. I think it's a good job. I think he takes over in a good spot here with the Panthers, especially with the coach in place too, but they just haven't been able to get over the hump. And I don't know what the GM can necessarily do to get this team over the hump unless he's going to make some pretty significant changes. Yeah, look, I think that's part of it. I also think, let's remember that Bill Zito, before he – went to Columbus and, and became such an integral part of what they do. He was a player agent and he was a player agent that really made his bones in finding players that other people didn't know about and, and players that became stars. He signed Brian Rafalski out of, out of the European yeah. leagues. He signed Tim Thomas out of the European leagues. These were guys that had never had a chance or had been given up on. And he was able to identify something in them. And he was in a position with a startup company where he had to identify that kind of talent and hope that it hit big because that was the only way he was going to get more talent. Right. So I, I think he's always been a really astute, judge of, of talent and again look at look at the Columbus Blue Jackets they you know they've had a couple of first round picks and, and and some higher picks but they've hit on a lot of players and and a lot of non first round players to kind of build that team and, and build their depth through trades and free agent signings so I think he's a guy that can nibble around the edges and, and make that team better progressively he certainly has a coach in Joel Quinville who you know will get them a couple of wins each year without a problem he has an goalie that he knows a ton about in Bobrovsky. Um, so I, I think there are some pieces there. And, and to me, that that Florida team strikes me a lot like the Columbus team that he managed or helped manage for several years. And, you know, now that that Columbus team has gone from being, you know, oh, what's going to happen with Columbus? When are they going to get in the playoffs to? I think they're one of three or four teams that have been in the playoffs each of the last four years. Yeah. So, you know, he built something really good there. And now he has the opportunity to do it in Florida as well. Yeah. And with a lot of good pieces in place. And, and to be honest, I mean, a lot of times a GM will take over. And I think of, you know, Bill Guerin in Minnesota or, you know, somewhere, I, I, just a GM will take over and it's part of a building plan, right? I mean, that's what you would expect. To me, Bill Zito comes into Florida with the expectation of making the playoffs next season and not maybe not just making the playoffs next season, but, you know, finally getting a, a playoff series win under their belts next season. We'll see how that goes. But that, to me, is the expectation in Florida because that otherwise Joel Quenville doesn't take the job last year if he doesn't think this can be a playoff team for several years. It's got a lot of talent there. 
and, and they just haven't been able to piece it together. But maybe, like you said, some of the moves that Bill Zito will be able to make to find some hole, to, to find some players who can fill some holes, makes that type of difference. They're a fascinating team in, in my mind. And that's actually going to be a real fascinating division as we look forward here because we talk about the Bruins, we talk about the Panthers. We talked about the Canadians adding Jake Allen to beef up their goaltending. The Lightning are obviously still around. What's going to happen with Buffalo? Uh, the you know Detroit. I mean, this is a this is a very interesting division itself. Yeah, the most amazing thing about Florida when you think about what Bill Zito's taking over, they don't have a they don't have a UFA next year. That's going to be the exact same team. Everybody's under contract um, next year, and then that changes Trades. dramatically. Trades. No, of, of course, but yeah. if he wanted to, if he believed in what happened last year and, and that they just, you know, ran into uh, post-pause hockey and, and couldn't figure it out, ran into, you know, what clearly was a pretty good team in the Islanders, um, and he believes in that, he has all the pieces there to give that team another run. Certainly he can make trades, and then the next year is when he's really going to put his fingerprints on it. I think if you look at next year, they're looking at five UFAs and six or seven RFAs, and among the Uf the, the UFAs are Boyle, Halla, uh, Dadanoff, and, and Mike Hoffman. So um, clearly that team's going to change within the next two years, and that's when Bill Zito will start to really put his stamp on it. Let's uh, let's get out of here before my dog makes another appearance. How about that? Uh, we don't. He, he he tends to get a become a media hog after a while, so uh, we don't want that anymore. Um, Sean, like dog, good, like owner. That's right. <laughs> well, <laughs> hey, this was good. I'll just move right past that comment. Um, <laughs> this was good. We got a we got a good interview in there. I hope you enjoyed it with Tyler Johnson and a lot of information from Steve Mayer. Um, a lot of hockey left to play. Got a bunch of game sixes coming up and uh, maybe some game sevens. Sean, it's, it, the playoffs are more than half over and uh, it's going to be good. It's, this is, yeah. well, actually, they're almost half over, I should say. Well, they are more than half over if you include the qualifying. If you round, include everything else, yeah. Yeah, it's look, it's going to be great. We don't know much about what's going to happen between now and when we're on next week. The one thing we do know is we'll be in the conference finals um, and there'll be four teams left that know that they want nothing more than to win that cup because they've invested so much personal sacrifice so i think the hockey's just going to continue to get better especially as guys get into playoff shape and and continue to do that so um like i said we don't know a ton but we know that we'll have some great storylines to talk about next week and we're pretty sure we'll have some pretty great guests too so uh yeah. rate and review and we'll see you next week and everybody stay safe out there